three. Welcome to Entrepreneurs, Business, and Finance, the podcast. And we are fortunate to have Gary Bureaus on the show today. He is a young retired person. So that alone shows he's had a level of success in his life. And he's also a terrific guy, a friend of mine. And He's able to go skiing four times a year if he wants and and live the life that uh, a lot of people uh, a lot of people dream of. But I'm sure that hasn't come without some work and some challenges. So we're gonna ask some questions about uh, how he started out and how he developed his career and also how he handled his investments. And then finally, kind of wrap up on a very interesting segment about how his family helped our country um, historically. So, Gary, do you want to tell us how you were able to uh, learn to become an expert in uh, high tech and uh, computers and uh, how you got your first job? Well, this, yeah, that, that, that goes back quite a long way. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I was uh, sort of a theory person studying mathematics and uh, had really thought about going into education, but, um, various things led me to a, um, some people who were out in the workforce and, uh, working at different places. And so I, I threw my, my resume and, and stuff out there and, uh, was, uh, got intrigued by it. And, uh, so I not knowing what I really wanted to do, I just accepted every job that came my way. And then whether they started on the same day and then made my final decision. But I started, ended up doing something in a, uh, what would be now called, I mean, it's called system engineering, data analysis, data science applied to the telecom network. But back, if you were to call that high tech back then, you know, people nowadays would wonder what you're talking about because it was ancient. I go back a long way. So, um, it was a lot of optimization theory, a lot of applied mathematics. And that I always loved mathematics and that route in, in my career in mathematics uh, led me to a lot of other places in, uh, in the topics that you discussed. But I started my career in a rather theoretical type environment at a company that doesn't exist anymore called Bell Northern research. But you meet a lot of people, uh, of different backgrounds and many of them applied their mathematics to the, uh, the investment, their investments. Uh, this is how I learned and became familiar with applying my mathematics. Some of it I already knew from just studying mathematics, but the actual application, uh, I, I didn't. So I, I, I guess networking had a lot to do with it, uh, networking with people that of different backgrounds and uh, you know, they're doing some things and you learn some things from them. Uh, but I, I did that particular aspect of my career for 10 years and the things that I learned from there, mainly um, the, how to apply mathematics to real world instead of theory, as well as the discipline to continue to do it. Now that uh, that's probably the most important lesson learned. Uh, so uh, the other oh, significant yeah. thing, 
Yes. yes go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, Is that uh, we we had uh, worked in this uh, applied mathematics group, system engineering group, for for quite a while. I mean, it was I was in it for ten years, and uh, one day, I mean, we we were paid fairly well, but not not say great one day my other colleague and i were wandering around where the business unit was in the tower we called it and we noticed that everybody over there lived better and by better i mean they had better offices they had uh, lunch brought in they drove better cars and uh, so we decided that maybe it was time that we got into the business unit and uh, so we we each built a strategy, and that ended my what I thought would be my um, my career in the applied mathematics aspect of things. But it wasn't, and that just led me to more using it more in the uh, in the investment world, which I, I can get to. So that's kind of my short story on where I started my career in a. Uh, basically, a theoretical applied applying my mathematics to designing telecom networks and uh, circuit switch networks and transmission lines and cube cube models and all kinds of things. Uh, but when I got into the business world, I found a whole new application for the mathematics uh, on all kinds of things in the and more precisely in the investment world and. Uh, that's probably where I started seriously taking uh, any any money in my 401k, rolling it into a self-directed IRA and doing everything myself. And uh, once you learn. Yeah, I find that very interesting because what I what I understand is that, um, you know, most people in a 401k, they may go to a financial advisor and that financial advisor may pick uh, certain businesses that he thinks are growth or she thinks are growth uh, and, um, you know, that diversify and, you know, hold it for the long term. And uh, Mm -hmm. you were actually actively picking individual stocks, doing options, um, Mm -hmm. trading, and uh, not at all putting your money in. Even if some people do that themselves where they diversify, but you weren't, you weren't doing any of that. You're, you're more like what I picture of a guy in a, you know, in wall street, you know, doing um, picking, you know, making deals all day long, but you're doing that for yourself in addition to your, your job. Um, yeah. The, because uh, if, if you're unwilling or you don't have time or you, you just, it overwhelms you to do the research yourself and learn about the company, then maybe you're better off just sticking it into a, um, some kind of mutual fund, but uh, it's not like impossible. And uh, you focus with companies that uh, are around you that you're intersecting with. See, in telecom, I, I had exposure to a lot of different companies because they're all our suppliers. So I learn about these people, what they, what they do. You meet a lot of people in your, your travels. Once I was in the business unit and I was in the marketing research, and then I learned a lot about various companies in the tech world, you know, your usual suspects that, build the chips and the memory and all kinds of things. Uh, so you, you learn. And one of the things that's kind of, uh, you have to learn is you have to learn what, what most people refer to as a value chain. And that's 
if you look at that company and all of the players around it, uh, how do they make money? Uh, who makes money in that chain? You know, the end user might be at the bottom and they give money to, to, to get a service and that, that company provides them a service, but to do that, that company has to buy this from this company and this from this company. So everybody in there is, um, is making money off of this, of this product and service down to the end user. And you need to look at the various players and understand uh, if this is viable and who's going to make the money. And, you know, you, you can pick your winners and losers. Well, uh, that's just the part of understanding which companies you want to look at and uh, try not to uh, do too many. I mean, and you're, if you're just one person, you're not going to be able to manage uh, a portfolio of a hundred stocks and do all the research and keep it where you want it. I mean, that's for teams of people that have a lot more resources, but you don't have to, if you're doing your research and you're picking some of the good ones. It shouldn't be impossible. Uh, so that's kind of the what led me to just to do my, all my own uh, investing. And this state, it's almost on autopilot because I've already picked you know, a handful of ones I follow and work with. And uh, but it takes a fair amount of discipline in the beginning. Uh, because you're not going to always watch your portfolio go up and you, you have to know when to cut your losses. Uh, people say that, oh, no, it's down, but I'll, I'll wait. It'll go back up. But while you're waiting for it to go back up, another one may be going back up. And so you, you, you hung on to this one and you, it's an opportunity somewhere else. So you, you have to have the discipline to cut your losses too. So. And I know that you, because uh, you've shared, you also traveled the world um, and uh, did a lot of presentations to large groups. And um, that must have been a big shift from doing uh, research yeah. and behind the desk to going way out in front of a lot of people. A lot of people that are, um, uh, I don't want to count anyone short, but, you know, if you're going to profile people, you think someone that is really good at math and analysts might not be as good, you know, creating interest in front of a large crowd. Um, well, obviously good I, and a lot of my graduate work, well, I, I taught, I taught classes. So I, it wasn't, I was never uncomfortable uh, in front of crowds. I was in the thespian when I was in high school, we did speech and drama tournaments. So I was never uneasy about being in front of a group of people uh, speaking. And uh, I, I guess they could tell that were in the places where I worked. And uh, so I, I did a lot of presentations in a lot of places for large audiences in uh, 25 countries or more. Uh, in the early days of, uh, of wireless, we were, we were everywhere talking about it. Uh, so it's, if you practice what you're going to deliver, you know, you, there's no reason to be nervous. Most of the people in that audience, they don't know you and they're never going to see you again. So what's, you know, there's no reason to be nervous about it. Well, that's a very logical way of uh, uh, putting it. Uh, you, you actually didn't ask you about your, uh, your degree. So um, what were you, what was your schooling? Where did you go? And I have undergraduates in uh, geophysics and a master's in mathematics. 
terrific. And when you were uh, towards the end of your career, what, what were you doing then? Like we learned more uh, about Well, after the system engineering and I got into market research, which actually bundled into consumer research. So we did a, I did a lot of um, uh, studying what the consumer likes and what they're willing to buy and what they're willing to pay for. So it's a lot of combining um, understanding of the market and the consumer with, with uh, data science, what they would call data science now. Some of them are, uh, you do surveys, you know, what everybody believes a survey is. You send out a, uh, a link and a bunch of questions on it. But the questions are very cleverly designed, and there are different ways to design questions that uh, will allow you to get information. One of the really nice ones I really liked was was like a, I call it the simulated shopping. That's the best way to describe it. There's other more um, technical words for it. Uh, but you give them a um, like four different uh, product options with different features and different prices. And you ask them, you know, if you're going to buy one, which one would you buy? And you vary different things about the product and you collect a bunch of information. You do some statistical analysis and you figure out, well, you know, this one, uh, they like this much more than that one. I mean, there's, it's a, it would take quite a while to go through the, the details of it, but the essence of it is that it's, it's, it's quite fascinating of just how accurate it is, how closely you can get to understand what, people's uh, particular likes and dislikes are and what they're willing to buy and pay more for. And uh, we did this for the phones a lot and um, make decisions on your product for it. I mean, if, I mean, a very simple one is would you rather have a phone that can charge real quickly or would you rather have a great big battery? You know, and and uh, that, well, just little things like that. Sure, sure. So uh, you now have a uh, son who's graduated, just entering the workforce. Well, well maybe what would be, uh, you say, maybe your biggest challenge or some, one of your biggest one challenge that you overcame or some advice that you would talk to someone that hasn't retired young but maybe would like to? Oh, well, yeah, yeah there's a, it's a lot of advice. Um, I think... The advice that I give people coming out of college uh, is one: it, you need to focus intensely for a, probably three years if you want to become maybe as a subject matter expert. Uh, so that's one bit of advice. But the uh, the best advice I can give is that think about where you want to be your three years from today and start working on it today you don't uh wait until you're you, you want to make a change and say well i need to make a change but that you haven't prepared for it and and it, it's gonna it's gonna be a two to three years to prepare for that properly so you have to look at where you want to be based on what's happening and where the trends are in the market uh, i advise them to uh periodically I'd say maybe once a month or once every two months, do a job search and find out what what companies are wanting 
and what what kind of movement in that. And I think that every year you should pick a, an area and uh, take a class in it or learn it. Try to expand, either expand your expertise in one area or add another area every year of your career, every year. Not every other year, not do, you know, get this done for two years and then you take a break. It's every year you're, you need to be growing your career. I'm telling you because right behind you is another graduating class and they're, they're at the bleeding edge. The professors are learning all of the teaching. Too. So everybody, uh, if you want to be competitive to keep your career moving and have a dynamic career, then you need to manage it. You need to look at where you want to go in the future. How do you want to grow that? Really good, uh, good information. Um, so why don't we wrap up? Uh, tell me, because I just think it's a very interesting story. You know, I love our country, how it was founded and how people build it and continue to build it. But you have a relative that was, uh, should be famous, that maybe is famous in a, in a sense. Um, do you want to give a brief one minute or a couple minutes on that? Mm. Which, well, I mean, we may be talking about my grandmother's side. They came over here many years ago, which, hmm. I'm talking about the surveyor, uh, the, the explorers. Um, didn't you have I an think, explorer? I, I mean, I my grandmother's side came over here sight unseen on a okay. boat. Okay. Uh, from Devonshire. I mean, they... They came to Texas. Uh, somebody went over there and recruited them. Say, hey, we're, we're looking for people to come to Texas. At a time when there was there wasn't really much here, and so they got on a boat. Uh, and he had, a, he had his a wife wasn't wife. terribly strong, and he had eight kids. And then they they landed somewhere, New Orleans, and then they got on the the river boat and. Uh, made their way to Shreveport and then got on a wagon and made their way to Carrollton. And, uh, they, they paid, they, they got some land on a land grant and others, they just paid 50 cents an acre for it. They never even seen the, the land. Uh, that's the story I was thinking of. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and yeah, they got, there's a book. Uh, you can find it in most of the, col the special collections. It's the 60 years in Texas, which, one of my relatives of Jack Henry Jackson wrote about their life and times. And I mean, there's, this is back when there were still Indian raids and, uh, the Comanches roamed the, the great plains and, uh, they haven't, they hadn't got rid of all of them. So they would keep coming in and have raids. But, uh, I just wonder you know, a lot reading their, their the book that how tough life was back then relative to how we, we live today, but they made it, you know, and they survived and they, they, uh, they have all of the rest of us, of uh, their, you know, kids and grandkids and great grandkids that, uh, that prospered. But uh, the story was, uh, was an interesting story to me. It's a pretty big book to read through. But, yeah. That's my, just the thought my grandmother's of, uh, family. 
just the thought of riding on a wagon from bouncing through the heat <laughs> yeah, and the cold. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you hop uh, in your car or whatever transportation with the heat and the air conditioning and comfortable seats. And yeah, I think uh, probably not. Not uh, if you think back then, it's like eighteen. Let's call it eighteen sixty, or just before the. The wagons probably weren't very comfortable and, uh, not, there weren't any roads. So there were, there were paths that were, where other wagons had been before and horse drawn. So yeah, I can, I can imagine that, uh, that was quite a, an experience for them to start in Devonshire, England and, uh, just have the, the desire to, go somewhere and strike out on their own uh, with all of his kids and his wife. And yeah, those, uh, it's quite, a, it's, it's an interesting story. I'll say, well, yeah, an interesting life. And of course, a lot more to come. Uh, and uh, we may want to do a follow-up show. If you're oh, sure. Anytime. Yeah. There's lots of discuss, you know, lots of advice I would give people, but yeah, anytime. Well, thank you so much for coming on, my friend, and uh, you have a great, uh, great day, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.